Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, October 17th. In today's news, President Trump tries to distance himself from the mess he's made in Syria. In Europe, a tentative Brexit deal has been reached, and the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, Elijah Cummings, has passed away. But first, the big idea. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell told Republican senators on Wednesday afternoon to be ready for an impeachment trial of Trump to start as soon as Thanksgiving. An air of inevitability has taken hold in Congress with the expectation that Trump will become the third president in U.S. history to be impeached, and Republicans believe they need to prepare to defend the president. Timing has become the looming question. McConnell says he expects Nancy Pelosi to hold an impeachment vote by Thanksgiving, and that the Senate should try to dispose of the issue by Christmas so that they can clear the deck by 2020 when he and others are up for re-election. McConnell says the Senate would likely meet six days a week during the trial to speed things along. But the Kentucky senator also noted that motions to dismiss the charges in an impeachment trial are handled at the discretion of the chief justice who presides over proceedings. In this case, that means John Roberts, not McConnell, would have the final word on how quickly the Senate could move potentially complicating GOP efforts to short-circuit what could become a lengthy trial. In their closed-door weekly luncheon, McConnell gave a PowerPoint presentation about the impeachment process and how it works. Then he fielded questions alongside his staff and Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham, who was a manager of the 1998 impeachment of Bill Clinton. During the meeting, Graham lobbied his colleagues to consider signing on to an open letter declaring that what Trump did with the Ukrainians is, quote, unimpeachable. Some of the Republican senators, however, pushed back against that idea, arguing that Trump would assume that those who didn't sign onto the document would be persuadable on a vote to oust him. Senator Susan Collins, the Republican from Maine, who, like Graham and McConnell, was in office for Clinton's impeachment, said that members shouldn't weigh in at all since they're going to be jurors in the process. Also happening at the Capitol on Wednesday, Michael McKinley, who was the top advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, told House impeachment investigators that he quit his job last week out of concern about the mistreatment of career U.S. diplomats and the alarming allegations related to efforts to pressure Ukraine's president into investigating Joe and Hunter Biden. McKinley said his concerns culminated with the recall of the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, a punitive action he and many other rank-and-file diplomats viewed as wholly unjustified. McKinley said he wanted Pompeo to issue a supportive statement for Yovanovitch, but it never happened and McKinley told investigators he didn't want to be part of a department that didn't have the backs of its diplomats. The split has been bitter, as shown by the absence of a statement from Pompeo expressing gratitude for McKinley's 37 years of distinguished service. McKinley is a career diplomat. He served in several key posts, including as ambassador to Afghanistan, Colombia, and Peru. He was serving as ambassador to Brazil last year when Pompeo recruited him to be his top advisor. On deck to testify today is Gordon Sundland, the U.S. ambassador to the European Union. Trump's former top Russia expert on the National Security Council, Fiona Hill, testified on Monday that she saw Sundland as a potential national security risk because he was so utterly unprepared for his job. He was a donor who gave a million dollars to Trump's inaugural committee before he got the post. Hill didn't accuse Sundland of acting maliciously or intentionally putting the country at risk, but she compared him to someone driving on dangerous roads in an unfamiliar place with no guardrails or no GPS. 
She described her fears that Sunland represented a counterintelligence risk because his actions made him vulnerable to foreign governments who could exploit his inexperience. She also reportedly said that he was using unsecured personal devices to conduct highly sensitive official business. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Trump yesterday attempted to distance himself from the escalating chaos in northern Syria following his decision to withdraw U.S. troops from the region as he lashed out at lawmakers critical of his decision-making. In remarks in the Oval Office early in the day, Trump insisted that the ongoing conflict between Turkey and the Kurds is over land that has nothing to do with us. Then he said the Kurds, who served as a stalwart U.S. ally against the Islamic State, are, quote, no angels. There's a lot of sand they can go play with, he added. This was Trump's 1,000th day as president. Democratic leaders walked out of an afternoon meeting at the White House about Syria after what they described as an insulting and nasty diatribe by Trump. Apparently, he called Nancy Pelosi a third-rate politician. Trump replied that Pelosi had an unhinged meltdown of her own. By the end of the day, Pelosi and Trump were both accusing the other of mental decline. The House, for its part, voted 354 to 60 to pass a bipartisan resolution condemning Trump for withdrawing the troops. Every member of the Republican leadership supported it. According to three people who were in the room where Democrats walked out, Trump repeatedly downplayed the threat from ISIS fighters who have been released because U.S. troops pulled out, saying America didn't need to worry about terrorists because they're 7,000 miles away. That's according to three people who were in the room. And then apparently Liz Cheney, Dick Cheney's daughter, the House Republican conference chair, a congresswoman from Wyoming, stood up and reminded Trump that the terrorists who killed more than 3,000 Americans on September 11th came from 7,000 miles away themselves. Number two, European and British negotiators struck a deal today to split Britain from the European Union, raising the prospect that the country could be out of the block by the end of the month. Negotiators working through the night in Brussels struck a deal after Prime Minister Boris Johnson signed on despite lingering questions about warring Brexit factions back in London. The agreement still needs approval by European leaders and the British Parliament. Neither is an easy task. British lawmakers passed a law requiring Johnson to ask to delay the October 31st Brexit date if a deal to ease the exit isn't in place by Saturday. One senior EU official said that Johnson told the European, Europeans that he could get a deal ratified in Britain in six days once it was agreed to. According to people briefed on the talks, Johnson has been willing to make a slew of concessions in the interest of fulfilling his promise to get Britain out of the EU this month, perhaps at any cost. The key sticking point in the closed-door talks in Brussels has been what happens to the border between Northern Ireland, which will leave with the rest of the United Kingdom, and the Republic of Ireland, which will remain a member of the EU and is its own country. Right now, the boundary is mostly invisible. Both sides want to keep it that way, to preserve the peace of the Good Friday Agreement, but they've differed over how to achieve it, with Britain going in one economic direction and the EU going in another. Under the current deal, Northern Ireland would remain aligned with most EU rules so that the border could stay open. Then eventually, Northern Ireland lawmakers could vote to move closer toward the rest of the UK. Ironically, what's been hammered out in Brussels appears to be very similar to the deal that was agreed to last year but fell apart. It's funny how that happens. Number three, Elijah Cummings, the Democratic congressman from Baltimore and the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, one of the committees involved in the impeachment inquiry, died this morning 
at Johns Hopkins Hospital. He was 68. After undergoing an unspecified medical procedure, the leader didn't return to his office this week. A statement says that he passed away due to complications concerning long-standing health challenges. He had a remarkable life. Born to a family of Southern sharecroppers and Baptist preachers, Mr. Cummings grew up in the racially fractured Baltimore of the 1950s and 1960s. The first two years of the Trump administration were agonizing for Mr. Cummings, while battling ill health, including heart surgery, and as many other Democrats advocated a strategy of total resistance to the divisive president. He made fruitless efforts to work with the newly elected Republican in the White House and found himself sidelined by his House colleagues in the GOP majority. Then, after the midterms, he emerged as a leading, if reluctant, figure in the resistance and spearheaded several of this year's most high-profile investigations into Trump, including related to the now-abandoned efforts to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census. Cummings' father worked at a chemical factory, his mother at a pickle factory, and later as a maid while raising seven children. Although they struggled to feed their family, his parents would can apples and peaches and give half the preserves to people in need. The proprietor of a Baltimore drugstore where Mr. Cummings worked paid for the young child to get his application submitted to Howard University. At Howard, Mr. Cummings served as a student government president and received a bachelor's degree in political science in 1973. Then he got his law degree at the University of Maryland and practiced law for nearly two decades before deciding to get involved in politics. He won his House seat in 1996. He was a kind man with an instantly recognizable voice that will be missed in the Capitol. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, October 17th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.